How's everybody doing? Well, if you don't know who I am, uh, some people call me Papa D, PD, Pastor Disaster. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek, and uh, it is good to be back in the pulpit. Amen. Praise the Lord. I got to tell you, I have enjoyed uh, the break tremendously. So thank you to all my, my, my son and some of my close friends that came in. Have you been blessed this last month or what? Uh, amazing. I got to say right out of the gate, um, I, I, I pastor the best church ever, you know, and I just love you guys. Seriously, seriously. Uh, I've been blown away. Uh, church gets healthier when I go away. That says something. No, actually, it's good. It really is. It's a good sign. It's, I'm, I'm learning to realize that's a good thing, and it really is, to see other leaders in power, to see people just taking the helm and doing you know, their part for the kingdom. It's just awesome, uh, just awesome. This last week has been just, a, a, just another great week at Connect. I was just, um, just thinking about how awesome Activate Youth Ministry is. This last week, they had a breakfast for supper, and they had... Dozens and dozens of young people and parents from the community come in. I want to give it up for Pam Curtis. Pam Curtis doesn't like this, but can you just give it up for her? I love you. I love you. Amazing, amazing leader, if you don't know about our middle school. And then the 508 met this last Friday night, and um, I tell you what, it was just... Uh, it was unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this in the history of our church. This entire auditorium was packed with more people than we have right now on Friday night with leaders from all over the region. We had people from, you know, Connecticut and Vermont and, and in our local area uh, reaching just tons and tons of young people. We had 14 decisions for Christ. And I just want to give it up for my son and for the 508. Dev, come on. Everybody knows Devin. Good job. Well done. I don't know if Joan is in the room, but this last... Yesterday, we had a prayer seminar where she just teaches people to pray and intercede and, and just learn how to grow, and she does this undercover seminar on an annual basis, and there were dozens of people here yesterday, even after all that's been happening this weekend, learning and being trained how to pray. How many know that a, a, a strong church is a praying church, amen? And so it's just so awesome to just know that you're being covered in prayer, and all the ministries of this church are being covered in prayer, and people are being trained, and we're, we're not a church of paste and flour, but we're a church of prayer and power. Amen? And so I'm so excited for that. Will you give it up for Joan Legassi at the back there? I just want to highlight her. So thankful. So thankful for your leadership, Joni. You're awesome. Amen. And, uh, and then speaking of that, I just want to also say that uh, we're a church that's not just doing things here locally and, you know, in our own little world, but we're also helping other churches. And, and we've, been, we've been a part of an association uh, of related churches called The Ark uh, for many years, a partner church where they plant churches, where they resource pastors. And we've been doing that for a long time. And uh, recently, not too long ago, we helped plant a church, uh, um, Excel, and just get behind them. And uh, I'm an overseer in that church, and we sowed finances and people into the launch of that church, and some of you got to participate in that. And I just want you to know that we have another uh, up-and-coming church that's being planted on September 20th. In fact, that Sunday, we will pray for this church. It's called Impact Church, and they're, pa they're uh, launching a church uh, in Medford, Massachusetts. Pastor Zenzo and Michelle Zenzo, what a name. I mean, you can, if you can, that'll preach by itself. Uh, I, you can't lose with that. But Zenzo and Michelle Matoga will be pastoring a new church on September 20th. And basically what I want to do is uh, a lot of time, we've sowed seed into that, by the way, already financially. And uh, that's because of your 
faithful tithes and offerings. And I want to thank you because of the, the giving that you do here. I think it's important not to just express need, but to communicate vision. The vision of our church is reaching the next generation. That's why middle schoolers are being affected. That's why kids downstairs are being affected every single week because of giving. That's why the, the high school and young adults ministry is growing. And that's why churches are being planted because if we help other people, then God puts favor on this local people that we're doing. And so uh, I, we're already giving to that, and, um, but I want to give people. I want to help them on their launch day. And so I just kind of have a, a hidden goal for a certain number of people to take a Sunday off from here and go over there and help them launch their church on September 20th. So if you don't have a dream team responsibility or if you can get your dream team responsibility covered or if you're not currently on our dream team, uh, then I would encourage you to do that. But also, uh, just maybe you'd sign up down in uh, Guest Central. If you talk to somebody down there, they'll give you direction on how you can serve on that day. It would be an awesome experience for you to see the birth of a new baby church in the kingdom of God. Amen? So that's coming up. All right, you guys ready to get going? You can pull your worship guides out. You can follow along uh, with us on Version as well. We're starting a new series uh, kind of a three-week mini-series before we kick it off and get into the fall. It's called Full Throttle. Everybody say Full Throttle. Full throttle. So sometimes you have to slow down before we speed up or before we, you know, kind of burn out or crash and burn. And, and, and life, I don't know if you've noticed, seems to be moving pretty fast, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know about you, but it almost seems like it's faster than ever before, like it's speeding up. I remember when I was a young man, I used to watch this cartoon called Speed Racer. Anybody remember Speed yeah. Racer? I mean, I love that show. You know what I mean? That car was sleek and cool. It still is. Uh, right around that time, there was this other car, car that, was, that was around that season when that cartoon came out. It was called a Pacer. Anybody ever see the Pacer? So you have the Speed Racer and then the old Pacer. This Pacer was the ugliest car on the planet. Google it. It's nasty. Okay? And so sometimes we're moving like Speed Racer. You know what I mean? We're kind of going a little bit too fast versus that, that old pacer. And, and our driving lives, sometimes we know that we're putting the pedal to the metal, but sometimes we have to put on the brake. There has to be a little bit of uh, give and take when we're driving the car. We can't just always be going full throttle like Speed Racer. But it seems that in life, people are putting the pedal to the metal too much, and they're trying to get more done. Uh, they're trying to show they are the one. They're trying to make sure things don't come undone. Can you, can you, can you stand all the alliteration this morning? Uh, because I submit, you know, we're, we're moving so fast that, that, that the motivations behind that sometimes are keeping us, you know, from paying attention to the big picture. We're like a gas lawnmower that is about to, it's run out of gas. Do you know when a gas lawnmower runs out of gas, it actually speeds up at the end? Anybody ever mowed a lawn before? Raise your hand. Okay. A few of you. It's a wonderful trade. You got to do the lines back and forth if you're really good at it. Crisscross once in a while so the grass grows up straight. You can't just say, all right. You got to train the grass. You got to train the grass. Some of you are like, I smoked a lot of grass. I haven't trained any, but let's just, you guys, I know. When I say grass, you guys see different things. I understand that. But, um, but right before that lawnmower kind of burns out, it speeds up. And so we need to learn how to go further faster without, without experiencing the disaster of that crash, without, without that crash and burn at the end. And so sometimes we need to throttle back. Sometimes we need to downshift the car of our life. Sometimes I would submit to you, we actually need to put it in idle and just kind of rev it up before we kind of take off. And so this series is to get you healthy. It's, it's, it's about rest. 
It's about rest, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, you might need some rest. Look to, look to your neighbor and say, you might need some rest. Uh, turn to your second choice and say, not right now, though. Not right now, though, okay? <laughs> I don't like that, okay? Having just come off vacation... Uh, just a couple weeks ago, my family and I were on vacation, and, um, you know, I, I, just because of that, I've got rest on my mind. Uh, it kind of recalibrates me, refocuses me, gets me kind of in the right place. And, and I don't know about, know about you, but when you go on vacation, you don't want to lose what you've gained. You know what I mean? It's like you feel like you, there was a deposit made, and then, and then you can travel back. Sometimes if you go on a plane, you travel back, and literally you arrive at your home, and you're like, I need a vacation. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Can you feel me out there? What's going on? Yeah. So it's like, you know, back to the rat race. That's the kind of expression or phraseology that sometimes we use. And in the past, um, I can remember uh, with my wife having a uh, loving discussion, uh, quotes, about time. About time, about time management. Some of you husbands know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're that person. I don't know. But I was raised in a home that if you weren't 15 minutes early, you were late. Okay, and then it's offensive to be late, you know what I mean? And so anyway, uh, we have four kids. Uh, it, it was tough in those early years. It can be tough sometimes, but it can be done uh, to be on time. And, and uh, one day we were going to a particular engagement and uh, we were running late. Uh, some of you men know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, and, and, and I was on the road and I want to just parenthetically say not in pastor mode, speeding uh, to get to our destination, and my, my wife, of course, you know, the, 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 the rule keeper was reminding me of all the laws that I was breaking, and that children were in the car, and, and I was reminding her that if we had been 15 minutes early, that I wouldn't be breaking any laws, and, and this, this constant reminding was going on in this discussion, and, 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 I, and, and so any of you been there before? And so I'm attempting to avoid all these red lights. And so I'm speeding like crazy to try to, you know, you know, hitting the accelerator, by the way, of my 1994 Mercury Villager minivan. <laughs> Have you ever punched the accelerator of a minivan? It laughs at you. <laughs> That's so funny, you know? And then the funny part about a minivan is when you hit the accelerator, it kicks in like a space shuttle in hyperdrive. You know what I mean? Like, it's doing nothing, nothing, nothing. Wow! And they take off, and the kid's gum comes flying out of their mouth, and they bite their tongue, and they're, they're like whipped potatoes in the back seat, you know, hitting the front, you know? And, and we take off, and we, we just, you know, we're, be we're ready to just, you know, Book it, and then all of a sudden, I see, uh, you know, a cop there on the side of the road, you know, and so I hit my brakes, and then all the kids go, wham, you know, forward. The gum goes out again, and the whipped potato starts all over, and everybody's doing the whip and all that kind of stuff. And and don't get me going. And the nay nay wasn't going on back then, okay? But uh, so. And, and then you get to that light, you know, and you're like, you went through all that trouble and, and, and then, you know, that couple or that family that you passed way back then, they pull up beside you, like kind of looking at you, like as peaceful as the cleavers, you know what I mean? They're just, and you're so mad. You're just like so mad. Isn't that how life goes for some of us? 
It's like that. You know, we break speeding laws and other laws to get ahead and make it somewhere quicker, only to, uh, to get halted suddenly by some circumstance, by some um, maybe correction officer or sudden, unfortunate, sometimes even sudden accidents. I think life is like that. We're going like, you know, we're moving through life full throttle to get ahead, driven by, we'll talk about this later in the series, God knows what sometimes, we don't know when, when kind of the repercussions of that driving are going to face us, but suddenly we're forcibly sometimes slowed down by some unforeseen circumstance, you know, by some unhealthy choice or sometimes even worse. We're forced to stop. I know this to be true in my own life when I was sitting in the hospital in 2013 of January, laying on my back, and the scripture came to my mind, and it said, I will make you lie down in green pastures. Hmm. That's another whole message, you know? And so the truth is, in different areas of our life, we sometimes think we're okay. You might be here today thinking you're okay, but you might be hydroplaning on temporary momentum. Your wheels are spinning, you know, your life is cooking and booking, and all the instrument panel and the dashboard of your life is saying everything's okay, but you're actually just riding on temporary momentum, about to crash while your wheels are spinning like crazy. Are you perhaps hydroplaning in your life? Are you maybe on the verge of a burnout or a big crash? And what's interesting to me and hopefully to you is that as Christians or as Christ followers, we're supposed to model our life after Jesus. Can I have an amen? Amen. And Jesus was never in a hurry, never in a hurry, all right, period, end of story, yet he had a lot to do, like, just, can I put this in perspective, Jesus was never in a hurry, he had a lot to do, like, save and change the world in three years, anybody got that assignment or mission on their, you know, checklist, (laughs) groceries, milk, save the world, nope, not there. Okay, so I think we can learn some things from him because he was the perfect driver, all right? And, and I want to highlight two portions of scripture this morning. One is from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, and the other one we'll get to a little bit later is Luke chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. So Luke eleven twenty-eight, 28, and, and this is kind of like, all right, we're coming out of the summer. We're getting ready to go into the fall. School is beginning or begun you know, we get back into that routine, into that, into that grind, into that momentum type thing. And the tendency is to kind of ramp up even more. But I think there's some things that we need to get in place to stay healthy. And Jesus, we'll talk about this more, but he lived with a rhythm and a pace. Yet at the same time, he's extraordinarily fruitful and extraordinarily productive. Like the best. He knew this give and take. He knew this pedal to the metal break. You know, he knew how to downshift and throttle down, and he knew how to sometimes idle. And so, I don't know about you, but sometimes I I find myself on this perpetual roller coaster, so to speak, and I sometimes can't get off because I'm living a driven life, and I'm not allowing God to sometimes be the driver of my life. In fact, I bet there aren't many of you who came in this morning who are under great conviction about the number of naps you've been taking. 
you know? Oh, I just feel so bad about the rest I've been getting. But let's just learn how to pay attention, you know, more and more to the important things because the important things happen in response to rest periods, in response to slowing down a little bit. You're not going to notice your kids. You're not going to notice the condition of your marriage and your relationship to your spouse. You're not going to be able to see uh, or get a good measuring stick for how you're doing in your connectivity with your creator. You're not going to be able to see the health status, not just external but internally, if sometimes we don't slow down instead of going full throttle, borrowing against time. And there's this amazing promise, again, in, in that, this first text. Where, and Jesus made many promises, by the way, in the Bible. Jesus promised us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, we'll be saved. That's a promise for anyone who would ask of God that particular thing. Jesus promised that we could be healed if we, if we use the name of Jesus and apply that to our sicknesses and our infirmities. And he said, another place, he said he wouldn't leave us as orphans, but that he would send a comforter to come alongside us, the Holy Spirit, to be with us as an advocate. And, and somebody who comes alongside us in this life, not to freak us out, but to actually help us in this messed up, crazy world. These are some of the promises that we know, but I submit to you there's probably an obscure promise, a promise that actually is overlooked and overshadowed by a lot of what's happening in our life, but it might, it might be the most underutilized promise of all. So look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. I'm going to be reading from the message translation. This is a paraphrase of the scriptures, and I like how it says this. It says, are you tired? Don't answer that question out loud. I know the answer. Are you tired? That's what people say all the time. Worn out? Burn out on religion? Look at what he says. He says, come to me. He personalizes this. Get away with me. You know the commercial, you need to get away? Maybe that's where the getaway needs to be. And you'll recover your life. In other words, the batteries will recharge there. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, I love this line, the unforced rhythms of grace. You see any legalism in that? Do you see any, you know, overly structured, mechanical? No, it's this unforced rhythm. I was on the ocean watching it come in and watching it go out. Connected to the moon, connected to, you know, the axis of the earth and all these different things. I'm thinking, look at this rhythm on the earth. My breathing has a rhythm. Your heart has a rhythm. Jesus had a rhythm. Life is meant to have a rhythm. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Rest is one of the best promises in the scripture. In order for us to do what we've been called to do, we need to have rest in our life. Now, my youngest daughter, Morgan, is on the verge of getting her license very soon. This will be the fourth child to get their license. So you guys can begin praying for me now if you'd like. But she's going to take the wheel. And, and she has to go through hours and hours and hours of driver's education. And, and basically, she, uh, at some point, you know, this will change. But she has to have somebody right beside her for hour after hour after hour, equipping her and educating her and helping her to learn how to drive that car, how to find the balance between the pedal and the metal and the brake and, and, and the idle and the park and the, uh, you know, and the U-turns and all the different things that are happening in her life as a driver. And in, in our life, we often skip this step spiritually. 
We, we, we do not go through driver's ed with Christ as Christ followers in, in this race of a life. Scripture refers to it sometimes as a race, and we're supposed to run it well. I mean, we have a lane to run, and we often, you know, skip this key step, and, and, and we need to finish strong, as my son was preaching on Friday night about that. But, but some of you may, to, may have to start, I'm not trying to be funny here with the song, but sometimes you got to let Jesus take the wheel first. In order for you to kind of get your, your, your license to life, you have to meet the life giver. You have to meet Jesus. So sometimes you first give him the wheel of your life. You surrender to him. And then when you surrender your life to him, then he says, okay, now I'm going to give you the wheel. But now discipleship is when we, he stays in the car with us. He's over in the passenger seat, and that's when he begins to educate us and disciple us as drivers in this life. Are you checking with me? So I want to give you like three lessons, driver's ed with Jesus, okay? So if he was in the car of your life, which I think many of us have never done that, maybe we need to go back and have some driver's ed on life. Here's the first thing he would say. Number one, slow down. Slow down. Slow down so you don't break down. Jeremiah 2.25 says, slow down, take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I can't quit. Do you know that most of our problems are connected to the only socially accepted addiction? You know what it is? Busy. Busy. It's the only socially accepted addiction. We can't wait to tout and talk and brag about being busy. Busy. Busy, 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 busy. And the scriptures is telling us, slow down, throttle down. A huge point, and just you can write this in your notes, I think it's a key there. Every problem in our life is a problem of speed. Every problem is a problem of speed. In other words, at some point we're going too fast for too long, and it leads to a burnout, it leads to a crash, Something bad can happen. My wife and I have been married for nearly 24 years. And I know I don't look that old. We were married in the sixth grade. It was a scandal. <laughs> we survived it. <clears throat> and um, one of the reasons that we've stayed married this long successfully is because of our friendship. Our friendship. I would say that probably is the foundation of the success of my wife and I's marriage is our friendship. But can I tell you something? A friendship is not possible without slowing down once in a while and spending time with each other. The, most of the couples that I've, that I've done crisis counseling for, which is primarily what I get into a little bit now, not so much uh, premarital or enrichment counseling, but when I did, most of the problems is because uh, couples wake up one day, they look at each other, and they realize they don't even like each other anymore. And the reason they don't like each other anymore is because they're not spending time together anymore. Date nights turn into these just management meetings, if we're even having them, syncing up our schedules, our crazy, sickening schedules, you know, blocking off time for this and blocking off time for that. And you can't have a great marriage if you don't spend time with one another. So we're going so fast that it's created a problem in our marriage. When was the last time, just think about this, don't answer this out loud, but when was the last time if you're married you had an unhurried conversation with your spouse, a lingering you know, relaxed, when you weren't completely exhausted, long walk, long talk, back porch, front porch, just unhurried conversation. Most of our problems with our money is because we're moving too fast. 
Things are going, there's too much speed. We wouldn't consider pace. In other words, we did something fast or we did something impulsive. Do you know that the number one hour of the day, people make impulsive buying decisions? Marketing specialists have discovered this when they're trying to uh, create opportunities or create a sense of urgency for people in buying or selling something is 9 to 10 p.m. at night. 9 to 10 p.m. It is the primary target hour for uh, marketing specialists. And the reason for that is, is because you're tired then and you're hurried then and you're realizing you forgot something earlier in the day or earlier in the week and so you buy something. And so that impulse to buy, you know, we have a phrase, you know, emotion uh, buys and logic pays. And usually one precedes the other because we're going so fast. We make these impulsive decisions and we don't process the cost. We don't sleep on it. We don't ask for advice. And it's usually because of speed. We're moving too fast. In relationships, it's the same way. I'll just point out just the men, for example. I could do different aspects of of male relationships from pornographic addictions. It's usually because of speed. We're just, we're seeking intimacy like that because we don't have time for intimacy in the in-between. Usually, it's just an issue of speed. We're moving too fast. Or maybe, you know, most uh, psychologists, specifically Christian psychologists, said, say that men, in order to have healthy, mature lives, they need three types of relationships in their lives, uh, with homogeneous relationships. They need uh, father figures, somebody that's ahead of them in life that they can look to, somebody that kind of gives them something to aspire to, a target, um, Somebody that can speak in their life, stick their finger in your, in your business, and you can receive it. Their words have weight. Men need brothers. They need somebody that comes alongside them, encourage them, and cheer them on. And it's the same point in life, identification. And men need sons, somebody that they're pouring into and developing. And if you have these three types of relationships, men are healthy. Men are healthy. But all of these types of relationships need one thing. They need space, and they need time. Time. But we're moving so fast. Our culture is going so hard, and our culture is telling us to work hard, and I do that. And I I bet some of you do too. You put in your hours, and I love what I get to do. But this thing comes with this sense that I can do this. This drive comes with the sense that I can do this on my own. I can do this by myself. And the idea of slowing down is likened to being a slacker. This is what drives me sometimes is because of my upbringing and the pressure is pervasive. But Jesus is saying, come to me. Jesus is saying, run, like we sang in the song earlier, you know? And, and that's where you recover your life. That's where you'll recharge. That's the promise. And so you got to see this in order to fix this. Can I have an amen? Because speed is the single greatest threat to a healthy life and management of it is our greatest defense. Number two, if Jesus was in the car educating you and trying to guide you and help you before you have the wheel to yourself, you've got to park the car regularly. It just can't run all the time. Every now and then, you have to just put the car in the garage. Park it. This is about getting back to the Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Now, some of you, if you've been here any length of time, you've heard about this before, and, and, but you need to hear it again. <laughs> and I do too. I do too. You cannot afford to miss the Sabbath. Sabbath are critical for us as followers of Jesus. Sabbath is actually a commandment. So one of the Ten Commandments, we often think about different ones and we would never think to abandon them or, thou, you know, thou shalt not kill. Nobody's abandoning that commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Nobody thinks that's not a good commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all the heart, strength, soul, and mind. Nobody thinks that's a... But when we get to the Sabbath, we're like, oh, I missed that one. Maybe there's only nine. 
No, it's one of the fourth commandments. It's critical. But as more than a commandment, I want you to see it's a gift to you. Sabbath is a gift to you. It's a gift, custom made for you. Genesis talks about God resting, not because he needed it, because he was trying to show us something. Driver's Ed took place in Genesis. In Exodus 20, he says, remember the Sabbath. Don't forget it. Why do you say remember? Because we forget and keep it holy. Make it a part of your life. Holy is to be separate, not boring. And one of the greatest acts of faith is that we can demonstrate before God and his faithfulness and his trustworthiness is when we cease from our strivings, we pull back from our labors and we rest. That's what happens. So what part of your week is there a Sabbath rest? What part of the 24 hours of a day do you give to God? Is there a part of your daily schedule that's set aside where you focus your attention and rest, where it belongs to God, where you cease from your work? It needs to be a part of our schedule as Christ followers. Let me tell you another thing about the Sabbath for the rebels among us, the type A personalities, you know who you are. <laughs> By choosing to Sabbath, you are, in essence, protesting and rebelling against your innate desire to be self-sufficient. Sabbath is a protest. When I, I'm learning this more about myself, but when I Sabbath, I am protesting against self-sufficiency. I can do it. It's me. See, I know I'm capable. I know I'm diligent. I know I'm hardworking. I'm an ambitious personality. But the Sabbath reminds me that God is greater than those things. The Sabbath reminds me he's the great I am and I'm the great I am not. The Sabbath reminds me that mammon and money are not first in my life. That's not my God. God is my God. He's my Lord. He's my king. He's the Lord of my life. Money is not those things for me. Christ is. And are you following me out there? And so Sabbath is when I choose to worship something other than myself. And as a result, if that's my conviction, it should be a part of my plan. It should be a part of my schedule. We should schedule our priorities and not just prioritize our schedule. And this isn't about legalism, so don't misunderstand me. This is actually about freedom. See, it was instituted because Israel was enslaved by the Egyptians. They had to work. And God said, now I want you as you're free to have a Sabbath rest, to cease from your strivings because you don't have to work, and then I go to work for you. And so it's about freedom. It's here that you get revelation from God and about God. Because a lot of times, and just a question for you is, do you have informational encounters with God or conversational encounters about God? Because you can study something, you know, in, in, to get information, or you can be with someone and get insight. It's different. It's different. And that only happens when we intentionally disconnect and unplug and there's guidelines for resting, and this is just some of them, but, but some of you need a vacation. Some of you need a vacation. Well, I can't because I can't afford to. That's a speed issue. That's a speed issue too. Vacations are for fun. Can everybody say fun? fun. And recreation. For vacations are for the remember when. That's what vacations are for. We need to be together. We need to have fun. Uh, but it, it, and it's important that you have those times. And I would ask you this. If, you, if, if I interviewed the 10 closest people in your life and asked them, is he fun? Is she fun? What would they say? Come on. Are you fun? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you fun? <laughs> 
It's important. Sometimes it's because you're not having a vacation. Some of you went the whole summer, the whole year. Listen to this. Listen to this stat. Uh, right now in America, right now in America, there are 430 million unused paid vacation days in 2014. 430 million unused paid vacation. 40% of the workforce in America did not use their paid vacation days. Your company is paying for you to go away and you won't go away. Therapists have discovered a new disorder, and it's called the work martyr complex, or the work martyr syndrome. And this is basically, it's when blue collar, white collar, it does not discriminate, are basically saying, you know what, I haven't taken a day off. One guy, one guy told me this, bragging to me, I haven't taken a day off in four years. Ha! He went to high five me. I wanted to punch him in the mouth. <laughs> I bet your family's not too happy about that, and they'd be happy I punched you. That's stupid. And I've sat near scores of people in 22 years of ministry near their deathbed, and not one of them said to me, oh, you know, I really regret having spent all this time with my family and with my friends. Nobody says that. Never. Never. And so this work martyr complex, we wear it like a badge of honor. Listen, I believe that working hard is important, but your work is not your worth. It's mutually exclusive. And so you need a vacation. You need to have a Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was made, Mark 2.27 says, to serve us, not us to serve it. It's, for, it's a gift. It's for freedom, not restriction. And you say, sometimes people say, Sabbath, Sabbath is tough with kids. Bless you again. Sabbath is tough with kids. Anybody have kids? Raise your hand if you got kids. Enough said. Okay, I mean, it's, it's tough. I get it. Here's, here's the interesting thing. This is what people say to me. It's hard to take a Sabbath. Right about the time that your kids need you the most, your income and your earnings are at their highest potential. Somewhere between 30 and 45, your income goes the highest, and that's right when your kids need you the most. So what do you do about it? You fight for it. It's a, it's a conversation worth having. It's a fight worth having. You need to fight for that. There's a tension, and there's a tug of pull, because, because it's important. Listen, workaholics are killing as many families as alcoholics. And yet we've demonized one and we've celebrated the other. And so we need Sabbath. We need retreats. Retreats are for reflection. I wish I could talk about these more. Sabbaticals are for renewal. I know nothing about sabbaticals. I won't pretend to. I need one at some point in my life. Hope the elders are paying attention. <laughs> so here's the key. You are not forsaking your responsibilities when you rest. It is actually for the sake of your responsibilities that you choose rest. You're not forsaking them. You're actually, for the sake of them, choosing to rest. Most people are good at, you know, exhaling, but very few people are good at inhaling, okay? So driver said, last point, if Jesus was in the car with you, what would he say? He'd say, shut off the engine and refuel. Shut off the engine and refuel. Now check out this next text from Luke chapter 5. It's so cool. Matthew 11, first off, gives us the promise, all right? The promise we need to know of rest, which is overlooked and missed. But Luke 5 shows us how he practiced what he preached, how he practiced that promise. So in Luke 4, we can't talk about it now, but basically Jesus comes on the scene. Luke 5, he launches into his public ministry after 30 years of obscurity. 
There's a couple of little examples of Jesus on the radar, but the very small from birth and little thing with his, you know, in the temple, you know, when parents were looking for him and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, Jesus lived in virtual obscurity, and then he comes on the scene at age 30. His public ministry is launched, and here in Luke 5, he lays hands on a guy with leprosy. This guy, he, 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 he guy gets healed. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. He goes and tells everybody, and then Jesus' name is a household name. Everybody knows about Jesus. Boom. Just takes off all overnight, all right? Is everybody tracking with me? So Luke 5, look at this with me, verse 15. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people, what do I mean? The people and all their demands, you know, do you have demands against you? Do you have things that are drawing energy, life force, virtue from you every day? I, I submit to you, yes, you do. So, so all this is happening to Jesus. They came to hear him, again, after 30 years of being, you know, kind of in the shadows, waiting for, if you want to liken it to our lives, waiting for your opportunity, for your launch code. Some of you think like that. One, a sniff of success, and, and they all want to be healed like they healed this leprous guy, like he heals this leprous guy. And they're all saying, do the same thing for us, Jesus, Jesus. All this is happening on him. And they want to be healed of their sickness. Now, if I put this in your world, in my world, you know, we all, in America in particular, which kind of has its ups and downs in the economy, but overall, we're blessed. We're blessed with opportunity, and we feel a sense of opportunity in America as people here, and we feel the pressure in this same environment not to squander those opportunities. Is that not true? Once they present themselves like, we think this, I have to do something with that. I have to maximize that. I have to leverage that. And I hear this from businessmen, and I hear this from, from moms, and I hear this from A-type personalities, and I understand. I understand the business world. I was in it at one time, and I understand we need goals, and we need to achieve, and we need to hire, and we need to fire, and we need to, you know, we need to, we need to have big sales, and we need to buy, and we need to sell. And, and I understand when opportunities are in front of us, there's a temptation for us to go hard, to go fast, and furious to go full throttle, to live that way. Work, you know, while the sun is up. Make hay while the sun shines. Anybody know what I'm saying out there? But some of us, one day, know this to be true, or know someone that we've learned from in wisdom, some of us one day come to a place where on the surface we seem successful, but behind the scenes and under the hood, we're not so successful in the important areas. We don't have anyone around us that loves us. We've lost certain things that were critical. Basically, we end up with the wrong things at the end of our lives. And I want you to know, Jesus had the exact same demands on his life that you do, but they were even more, way beyond what you experience and I experience. All needing his abilities, all needing a word from him, all needing healing from him. And in this text, we wouldn't think if we were in his shoes, I'm going to go and I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to pull away right now and rest. But look what he does in verse 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew. Everybody say that. Often withdrew. What? To lonely places and he prayed. Now that doesn't sound very normal. That's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. I think it would be unlike or common, excuse me, for the disciples to say, has anybody seen Jesus? Where's Jesus? You know, oh, he's taking a nap. Oh, he's over there. Oh, he's talking to God. It wouldn't be uncommon for that to happen because Jesus often withdrew, yet he had more demands, more pull on him than any of us could possibly understand. Jesus withdrew to lonely places. And, and, and if we don't see it that way, then we'll come up with, if we see our lives like this, you know, the people will you work with, do they, would it be uncommon for you to be missing? 
Would it be common for you to shut away for a little while? Would it be common for you to take a walk at lunch by yourself and, and kind of regroup and refresh, leaving your phone on the desk? Do you feel like if you're not there, it's not going to happen? If those are the kind of things you think, then you will never disconnect. And if you don't disconnect, you can't have those divine encounters, those refreshing rest periods with God. Do you have it in your schedule somewhere to rest this week, this month, this year? God might be speaking to you right now about that. Luke 15, 16, again, he withdrew. It was his normal rhythm to do so. And everywhere we go now, we see free Wi-Fi. Free Wi-Fi. It's just a great illustration, but do you know now the new cars have free Wi-Fi? It's crazy. Some of you are excited, and i got to admit, some part of me is, but another part of me is like, that's sick. Because it's insane, really, because we can't disconnect anywhere. Listen to this. I was going to kind of pick on the young people a little bit because I have a lot of them in my family. But, uh, but there need to be these sacred times and these spaces in our life where you disconnect, where you're cell phone free, where you've got a quiet zone. But right now, studies have re- revealed that one of the things that's affected teenagers the most is their inability to have quality sleep, a, a healthy rest at night. They don't have REM sleep, random Uh, whatever, eye movement. They don't have that, that restorative, recalibrating, rebooting sleep that they need so badly. And the number one cause of poor sleep is cell phones. Cell phones. Because their brains have been trained to actively listen for alerts, tones, signals on their phone, texts and notifications and, and alerts, you know, whatever, in all the different formats that it comes in on their phone. It keeps them awake, and their brains are wired to listen for those sounds. Those midnight texts equal cranky kids in the morning who end up sleeping till the afternoon. And so you can't be upset because it's related to cell phones. And I believe this. I believe that we have taught our kids to listen for their cell phones more than we've taught our kids to listen to the voice of the Lord. And I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about a new rule in my house where no cell phones at night in our bedrooms when we go into sleep so we can sleep well. Where is the lonely place? People are scared. People are scared of my family. That includes me. That includes me. Where is the lonely place for you? This, this is my point. It's not about a rule, but where's the sacred space? Do you have any sacred space, 100%, 100% cell phone free, where nobody can bother you and talk to you, walk in on you? I was reading the Lord's Prayer just recently on a Wednesday morning, and uh, I read it afresh, and it said, Jesus got up while it was still dark. He left the house. That just hit me. Because I didn't want to stay in my house. I wanted to stay comfortable. But I realized, and Jesus reminded me that if I'm going to be praying and talking to God, they're just going to walk right into the room. You need a special place, a certain place, a solitary place to pray and talk to God. Prayer is a divine conversation, not a digital conversation. And it requires disconnect in order for that to happen. The Bible says in James 4 to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But in order for you to draw near to God, you have to withdraw from everything else. Does that make sense to anybody that's out there? And so it's important. It's critical. So, so here's what's cool here. I just want to wind this up. But in verse 15, it says crowds of people, they're, they're drawing, they're demanding, they're pulling. And then in verse 16, it says Jesus withdraws to pray. Now, look at the result. Verse 17, it says, one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, they're all sitting there. So businessmen, uh, moms, busy people, th- this tendency for this don't rest Sneak back in, don't withdraw, don't disconnect. 
Listen, there's that tendency to do that because we think when we come back, it won't all be there. Everything will fall apart. Everything will be a mess. Listen, they were back there for Jesus when he disconnected. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, but the crowds returned. The opportunities were still there. Listen, if God starts your business, then he'll protect it. He'll provide for it. He'll finish it. He will grow your business. Did he give you that job or not? Jesus, by faith, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And when he came back, opportunities were waiting on him. But even more importantly than they were still there, the opportunities were still there. Something else was there. Something remarkable was different. Look with me in this next verse. It says, and the power of the Lord was present there. So because of what he did by faith, God showed up in response to his faith and provided power for the circumstances and situations that he was going to face in his life. Can I have an amen? Amen. And so as I wind up, I can tell you one more thing. Listen to this. This is a key. Write this down. When we allow God to be more present in our rest, he becomes more present in our work. Can I have an amen from you? Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you as we conclude this morning. Did you get something out of that, anybody? Yeah. Don't clap, but if you're going to clap, everybody clap, okay? Because it's just, it's, it's just, it doesn't work. Listen, close your eyes. I just want you to be still for a minute. Just be very still. Let's, let's give our soul, our mind, our body a momentary rest period right now. I was reading just recently uh, about an old song that I was singing in worship last night. And uh, I like to sing in the kitchen at our new offices because I like the acoustics. I sound good in there. And I was singing this old song. It's called Fill My Cup. And uh, the, the author of that particular song, uh, his name is Richard Blanchard. And in 1953, he was getting ready to have a counseling appointment. His schedule's packed and full. And he told, it was minutes had passed and this couple hadn't showed up. And he said, you know, if they don't show up, you know, I'm just going to move on. And so he was going to give him 30 minutes. And he, so he told his secretary, he said, I'm just going to step out for a little while. And he stole some minutes. And he went out to the piano. And he wasn't expecting this, but he just said, you know, God, I just, I'm feeling empty. And I'm feeling exhausted and tired. And uh, I'm just asking you to take these moments and refresh me. I need some rest. I need, I need, I need to have my cup filled. And in in essence, by faith, he lifted up the cup of his life and he said, fill it, God. And in 30 minutes, God gave him this one of the most well-known songs, hymns that was really ever written in the last, you know, century or century and a half. And, And I want you to know that moms and dads and people with busy lives, you need to look for those rest periods in your life because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If we believe that God so loved the world, he gave his son, we need to believe that God so loved the world, he give us time. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with us. And he wants to fill your cup. And so if you're here today and you know there's a little bit of emptiness, there's a little bit of over, overdrawn and you need some overdraft protection on your soul, you know that you've been running maybe on fumes, maybe on full throttle, every head bowed, every eye closed, please, honor the people to your right or your left. Give them that moment. If you know that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and say, I just need, in essence, you're saying, fill my cup, God. Fill my cup. Fill my cup. I lift it up. Fill my cup. I lift it up. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Just, just receive. I just pray in Jesus' name for every person today who feels like they've been running, running, that you would fill their cup in Jesus' name to overflowing. 
They lift their cup, Lord. That you show them minutes in their day where they can can run to God and they can find rest for their soul. They can invite God into their life and come alongside them to be, giving them that driver's ed that they need again to be refreshed and to be restored. This promise of God that was made for them, it's for every person in this room and I pray that you restore them in Jesus' name. Restore them in their times alone. May they unplug May they be deliberate and intentional as Jesus was deliberate and intentional and often went through. I pray they do the same thing in Jesus' name. And maybe there's one here that just, the wheel of their life, it just feels out of control. It's almost like it's, the car is just, it's on a trajectory. Nobody's really got control of it. I feel like things are a little bit out of control. In order to be saved, you have to recognize that you need a savior. In order to be rescued, and a lifeguard come in, you got to realize you're drowning. That's really the prerequisite. In order to be forgiven, you got to realize you, you're a sinner. In order for God to come into your life and take the wheel of your life, you, you kind of have to let go. So if you've never let go and surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never given him the wheel of your life, and you want to do that today, and you know he's knocking on the door of your heart, I, I hate to do that. Anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you, Would you raise your hand? Maybe you're listening online. Would you raise your hand good and high and say, pray for me. I don't want to leave before that is done. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes. That's awesome in the front here. Thank you so much. Phenomenal. Thank you right there. I see that hand too. That's awesome. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? And those maybe even listening online, you respond too. You don't miss the moment. These are the kind of opportunities that matter. These are eternal opportunities. Say, Jesus, take the wheel of my life. I can't do it without you. I don't want you out of the car. I don't want you in the trunk, the back seat, even the passenger seat. Today, I surrender my life to you, and I give you the wheel of my life. I say I can do nothing without you. Be my Savior and be my Lord in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great morning.